Okay, what up, like listeners, and welcome to another show, uh, episode sixty-three on the fourteenth of April, with myself, Ben, and Josh. Uh, where, as usual, we will cover the latest news of the week. So, um, given we know where we're going to start because we had a, quite, a bit of a technical faux pas there, um, let's dig into to the latest on on Brexit, which is somewhat stood to expectations, right? Yeah. So um, they. It looks like they're looking to extend the date. We said, like we said last week, they were looking to extend it might be in June or July. It's now come out across that the date might be to the first of October, um, which is a very long extension, which also goes goes um, crosses over the European elections. So that's quite interesting, interesting um, development. You've also had this week. You've had um, Nigel Farage is back with his Brexit party. So there's a lot to cover, and there's a lot to cover with um, Brexit. So we start off the extension. Uh, yeah, what do you, what's your feelings feel on the extension date? So, the extension was expected, right? Once again, and this kind of went under the radar, um, wasn't at least, I saw it in a news article, wasn't really covered afterwards, but Donald Tusk said last week he was open to a flexible extension, basically said you can extend it for a year and you can leave any time you want within there. Theresa May, this is, this is logical. We have an open one. You're not set to a hard timeline. Theresa May, if you still want to leave earlier, you can. That was his flexible flexible option, right? Now, you don't know the talks that went on behind doors, but you do know that she came out and said, we're going to be looking to negotiate the shortest extension possible. Why? Why would you go in with that kind of attitude when the EU was suggesting they'll give you a flexible one, which all of the 27 parts of the EU wanted to seemingly agree with and she still goes in there with uh, actually i want the shortest one well you can have in short as long as you want you might as well take the longest extension given you can't get your house in order anyway seems like they've reached a, a midway point um and have ironically extended i mean you can write this stuff right i mean apart from the fact that it is written in ink on the news you can write this stuff that we extend from um what well, it would have been the 12th of April to Halloween now. So now we've gone from Brexit to Hallowexit. Um, <laughs> cue all of the funny outfits that I'm sure will pop up on that day. So, yeah, I mean, what, what frustrates me is I think they've now said that after the Easter break, they'll reconvene conversations again. Now, my thing here is, guys, you shouldn't really take your foot off the gas any more than you have done for the last six or seven weeks because you wasted two years. Now... I think the fear of the EU is any extension, they'll just flounder around with the time and waste it. Um, I would hope that they try to get this out of the way. Uh, I think uh, there are going a couple of people who have come out this week and said, well, I can't remember. I, I saw some, one of the MPs said, yes, by this time next year, this will all be forgotten. No, dude, let's just be clear. This will go down in history as one of the biggest political fuck-ups and embarrassment in, in UK political history, right? Um, so you're assuming that this is just going to be forgotten 12 months down the road, let alone the fact that the economic ripples will still be very, very strong um, and seismic next year. That's a ridiculous statement to make. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens now that we've got the extension. And Farage is just a blight he's just he's like born straight out of a cesspool i i i am <laughs> never outspoken in how much i dislike this guy but to be so brazen as to now come out and say we're launching a new brexit party his suggestion is that he needs to that ukip basically was 
a strong party of ethics before, but then they were taken over by too many right-wing people joining that, and so his party is going to be different. Bullshit. Like, and sec- and apart from it being bullshit, he shouldn't he shouldn't even be like. No one should follow this guy. This guy put us in this mess, and I do not understand why nobody is holding him to account for it. They just allow him. I mean, in fairness, nobody really pays attention to him. Um, but the fact that he could be brazen enough to say, I'm going to start a new Brexit party after I caused Brexit and then had to leave because I didn't know what to do with Brexit, for him to have the audacity to come out and say, well, I want to start a new party that's going to take part in the European elections is just a joke. Um, in my dream scenario, he would drop into some crevice in some unknown part of the world and we'd never hear from him again. However, I will deal with the fact that that's not going to happen, so we're just going to have to continually listen to his nonsense. But this part, he's not, it's not going to be anything, right? It's going to be like the Change UK one. You're not going to get any following behind it. This just gives him a platform to be able to speak out, is, is all I see it as. It's largely cosmetic. Yeah, well, one one interesting um, development development with the Brexit party was that um, Rhys Mogg's sister, is it Anne sister? I can't say her name. Um, Rhys Mogg's sister, she defected from the Tory party to join his Brexit party. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a joke, really, isn't it? Sort of yeah, joke. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just a <laughs> Brexit party, and and this is this is like Change UK, right? This is this is not forward thinking, and you can tell. The, the, his smug look in one of the pictures on there, right? But the reason that it's so it's so visible and transparent that this is just a PR play is you've called it the Brexit party, which means you're already lining up to say that you collapse the party after you achieve Brexit. This yes. is exactly the same thing as you did when you claim when you made people vote for Brexit. He's doing exactly the same thing, but he's just doing it in an even more brazen manner. It's just it's somewhat despicable to be honest, but all I can hope is that he, that, yeah, he's not taken seriously. All right, move and then uh, staying on with the UK and uh, I think we'll um, try and dress quite nicely. Trans um, is Julian Assange. So Julian Assange this week uh, was arrested in after Ecuador removed the diplomatic immunity from him, and the police went in there, went to the Ecuador embassy and took, and pulled him out and arrested him, and now he faces. Um, he faces extradition to the US and um, and Sweden have come out and said they might reopen the rape case. So we should give people, give people a, back, a backstory on the, on the rape case because the rape case is not real. I don't know if it's a rape case. It's very, it's quite dodgy. So he apparently what happened, he said he was having sex with a woman and he had a condom on and he took the condom and halfway through sex, he took the condom off and then she um, went to police and said he raped her. That's what, and and ever since then, he's always denied it. He's always said that he, that never happened, and it's it's very hard to prove. And when he thought he believed that the, that the, the case is only brought up um, by Sweden, so he can get extradited to the US once they arrested him. That's why he went to the Ecuador um, Ecuador um, embassy in the first place. But the Ecuador embassy this week has said that they removed his um, diplomatic immunity due to the fact that he is. Um, he he's getting involved in um, what domestic um, I'm say, daily um, daily workings in the embassy, and he's quite rude and sometimes aggressive to the staff. So they got they they said they're no longer help, they're no longer protecting him. So for seven years he's been in there. He's to be now fair, that's cabin fever, right? <laughs> yeah, seven years he's been in the same place. Um, he's grown a beard like a hippie, no, not a hippie, like a hipster. He's he's like a a hipster. Dude, he looks like a monk. Yeah, that's a monk. Come out like, like a hipster, and uh, now he fears that 
um, he will be extracted the US to face um, trial over over the WikiLeaks um, the WikiLeaks leaks of the US uh, operations. So it's it's all interesting. I find Julian Assange quite highly arrogant, but I've always had I've always had I've always I've always found him highly arrogant. But um, yeah, it's interesting. And you see the Labour Party. You see you see um, Dan Abbott coming out and saying um, saying that it's political. Corbyn said it's political. And we should not be extraditing to the US. What's your viewpoints? Well, well, it is political, right? There's no point in beating around the bush. Fucking that idiot Emily Formbury popped up again this week saying, oh, we shouldn't be brushing under the um, carpet, the sexual allegations, so he should be extradited to Sweden first. Fuck off. Like, I can't stand that woman. She just says whatever she thinks people want to hear as a populist. I, I, I hate her. Um, however... That put aside for my disgust for her. Um, well, it's just become it's come into a bit of a game of tug of war now, right? So, Sweden, I think there are two counts for which the time has passed for which they can um, investigate him for. And I think the time that they can investigate him on this current rape charge runs out in May next year. Um, so, you could argue that Sweden may want to press forward with theirs. On the basis of saying, well, we, well, this is their only opportunity, right? They'll either get him back now or, or they'll run out of time. Um, yeah. Australia have said that they're not going to extend any um, help to him. Theresa May came out this week and said, oh, yeah, this shows that nobody's above the law. Okay, well, you can argue that, but he's been laughing at you for seven years from behind um, the bricked walls of a, of a building. Fundamentally, it may be an embassy, whatever, but it's still a building in the middle of London and you haven't been able to touch him, right? So you can say what you want about it. He's not above the law, but he's at least laughed in your face on it. Um, and then obviously the US wants to try to... Well, they've already charged him with allegations of conspiracy to break into a computer. His argument is... Well, his solicitor's argument is this sets a, a, a dangerous precedence for freedom of speech for journalists. However, they're not really saying that. They're not charged. I mean, we, we know that actually, fundamentally, they are charging him for the fact that what he exposed was embarrassing for them. However, the charge that they're weighing against him is that he conspired with Chelsea Manning, who has already been found guilty of this. Yeah. Subsequent charges were dropped. However, He's also been recharged because he wouldn't answer questions in relation to WikiLeaks, right? Which suggests that there was conspiracy there to get the information from the US computer, military computers, and that was in part working with Julian Assange. Therefore, the allegations against him are not really against freedom of speech of journalists. And you're using journalist as a pretty open term terminology for him there in the interest of trying to gain sympathy for him. So... <clears throat> I'm, I'm not convinced that he... It feels like to me that the UK will go down the virtuous route and will extradite him to Sweden before they will extradite him to the US. Um, if he goes to the US, I think it's up to five years that he faces in jail. You could argue how much... Because this week as well, Donald Trump has come out and says, I don't know much about WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks isn't my thing. Um, nice. <laughs> this is when, well, this is when everybody else has now jumped on him and said, oh, yeah, but if you look back to his campaign, he kept referring to WikiLeaks. Now, if you look at his speeches in his campaign, and again, I hate Donald Trump as, the, as much as the next person, but I also don't like just purely objective viewed 
a media play of this, right? So when you look at it, yes, he did come out and say, WikiLeaks, WikiLeaks, ah, oh, I love I, I, what WikiLeaks is doing is amazing, right? He never, we all know that someone just wrote that for him and he's just saying it because it's a BuzzFeed. I, I don't think even at the time, despite the fact that you mentioned it, he knew anything about WikiLeaks, but he knew that it was damaging Hillary Clinton's campaign. So I don't really think that this contradicts any viewpoint that he had before when he says he doesn't know about it. I actually think it backs it up that he was making those comments during the election run and he didn't know anything about it he was just saying it because it came out against Hillary Clinton so actually I think he's just showing the fact that he makes uneducated comments more than anything else um, but that said he kind of just brushed this off his shoulder and said I don't really know anything about them this is going to be for um, the the Security General the, the Secretary of State to determine whether to bring extradition charges against them so he's not going to be pushing it too much from a presidential play uh the u.s government will obviously still want to get him because it was embarrassing what was exposed for them um and the atrocities that showed in in iraq let alone the rest of the atrocities around it nobody will care too much about the leaks for um hillary clinton because nobody feels too much pity for hillary clinton um the democrats will probably chase that but i don't think outside of that anybody else will and there's still a charge to say well all that Sweden have said is they're reopening the investigation. So I think he's got his extradition uh, hearing to the US on the 10th of May, I think it is. Now, if Sweden can't pull their act together before then, then I would assume that it's pretty likely that the UK will rule that, yeah, we want to extradite him somewhere. We actually don't care where it is. We just want to get him out. So if Sweden don't pull their uh, socks up on this, he could end up being extradited to the US. I kind of concur with you there as well. It, because of the nature of what he's done and his uncovered secrets, there is this wonderful air of arrogance that uh, that he has. Oh, I say wonderful in an ironic sense. Um, where he does seem to believe he is above the law around the world and the rest of that. And so, truthfully speaking, I actually don't care how this plays out. I don't have too much sympathy for him one way or another. Um, but it is, nonetheless, it is going to be a completely political situation now rather than just on the merits of... I, I think the, the Swedish one will, whether politicians here like it or not, I think they will find ways to sweep that under the carpet and I think he will go in the direction of the US, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, feels to me like he, he knew that this was coming as well because the way that he's let himself grow into this monk-like person and they didn't help us. I think that he's pulling this out for at least for his supporters to try and give the view of the vulnerable old man now. Um, uh, unfortunately, I don't think it worked for the rest of the populace because no one seems to have any pity for him. But yeah, I guess we'll see how this plays out. All right, moving on. Um, staying on with uh, staying with the US and um, controversy. So I know I'm throwing around all over the place, but there was this there's this 9/11 row um, that started in the US regarding um, Ilan Omar. So Ilan Omar is a Muslim congresswoman, and it seems that her her quotes and her words have been taken out of context. So she's come out, and I think she, she was talking about 9/11, and said some some someone somebody some people did something. And I think the Republicans have gone on the, on the attack, and Donald Trump has, has obviously gone out and misquoted her. <laughs> and uh, it was like the, the, the Republicans and the Democrats, um, the Democrats have come out to support her, while the, the, the Republicans have gone out on a full full attack of her, saying she's under she's under undermining, underplaying the 9/11 attacks. So, so I, I think that the, <clears throat> this situation in general speaks to how impossible it is to have healthy discourse nowadays, 
And because actually, I'm inclined to think this is, and, and you would hold this against anybody, right? But this is incredibly naive. And I would say not even naive because of the backlash that she would uh, inevitably cause from this. I don't think this is a very intelligent wording that she's used in the first place. So she's referring to so her speech was around the fact that since 9-11, Muslims within the U.S., have been unfairly treated and unfairly targeted. Now, I, I would be inclined to think that that's probably correct because of what what happened in 9-11, and people don't necessarily... Sometimes people just want a, a place and an avenue to vent their anger, right? Now, they don't do that rationally. They would just see somebody of the same background, ethnic or skin colour, as the people who had committed these atrocities, and they will put somebody under everybody under the same banner. I don't agree with that in any way whatsoever. That would have been clear from anybody who's ever heard me speak. That said, her her referring to nine eleven as some people did something is a, a pretty naive and stupid comment to make. I have to be quite blunt and honest with that. Um, now. The Republicans obviously have jumped on top of that. The Democrats have jumped on top of it to back her. The reality is, is if you're speaking sensibly, then as a Democrat, as some as a member of the Democrat Party, you should have been taken her aside and saying, look, you have to take into consideration that the destruction of the Twin Towers and the countless amounts of deaths that occurred from that is not some people doing something. It is a defining terrorist act of our generation and era right so i actually agree that she has completely underplayed what happened there and i don't think it is a sensible reference for her however because of the unhealthy discourse that we have and the nature of the internet and i've been thinking about this this week anyway how people are soft and you can't say anything nowadays um people have just jumped to either way and reality is is some should just be able to say to her actually that wasn't really sensible and she should then be able to actually come out and say actually here i want to just i just want to clarify my comments but she hasn't because the right side exists she's now doubled down and instead of yeah. saying what she really should say is yeah, actually when i said some people did something yeah I, I did underplay that there and i shouldn't overlook the scale of the atrocity that occurred but you can't say that nowadays because she has to double down right and this is why you, you just you can't have healthy discourse nowadays most people don't want to but you can't even if you try because i think she's in the wrong but i also think the republicans are in the wrong for trying to say that this is her being anti-american i don't think it's that i think it's just a slip of wording and and a not sensibly rehearsed or planned speech that she was making is my personal view yeah i i, I yeah she's come out and said controversial things before um i don't know i something that's something i don't understand um you know, like the right, sometimes I think the right are too patriotic, but sometimes I think the left are so a are so anti-patriotic. It makes it makes no sense. Like, so you want to govern the country, but if you, you want to govern the country, you sh you sh shouldn't you care about the country? Um, shouldn't, shouldn't your viewpoint support the country? I just, I just find it's I find some of the things weird, and <laughs> I find some of the arguments weird between the right and the left in America, and even even in this country, where um, I find some 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 of the rhetoric from Corbyn is anti. It sounds very much anti. Um, anti UK sounds very much uh, anti not anti establishment, but it's just anti power. It's just it's, it's sometimes you, it feels like you want to make everyone poor because you want to make everyone equal. And um, with the nine eleven stuff with with um, Ilhan, she she sometimes you should know who how people will perceive what you're saying and why they're perceiving what you're saying because who you are. 
that's 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 how I think she. If it was a if it was a, a white congresswoman or a white male um, congressperson saying that thing, or a Christian, um, they wouldn't. The perception of what she's saying doesn't come across as bad as it being that she's a Muslim woman saying it, and it comes across as being very anti. But I'm inclined to think that it's. I, I get what you're saying there, but I don't think there's that many. But I genuinely don't think there's that many people who would. Um, I, I have to think that this is. An, un, an accidental mistake of wording that she's made here and not a deliberate one. I won't judge anybody for somebody I don't know. Um, but this isn't a normal thing you would say. You wouldn't really refer to something as big as that as some people did something. It's not representative of what's been said. And I think as a genuine, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not one to judge somebody if, it, if it's not warranted, right? So I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt and say that this, she just didn't plan her wording of this properly but you cannot and i do agree with you there but i agree my view is in general any politicians have a responsibility there are only so many things that you need as key skills and traits right and one of those is a responsibility to be a sensible and measured speaker and that means understanding yeah i don't i don't mind nobody needs to read i don't i don't have an issue with people who do not write down their speeches beforehand uh, because I think you can kind of freestyle relatively well and it can become more authentic, right? However, if you're going to do that, you need to know that you're measured enough in your speaking to be able to use the right words, rhetoric, put the right context and nuance around what you're saying. Again, one to, to refer to, yes, people will always have some kind of cognitive bias on who you are. You should, you should understand that in what you're saying, but you should also understand that this is going out to a global audience, right? And And I don't think that you should be walking on eggshells I, I don't think it's healthy that we've created an environment where people need to walk on eggshells however i do just think if i take out of the context of this saying i'm going to forget her color and i'm going to forget the environment that she lives in purely on the basis of the words versus the incident referring to something of such a magnitude as saying some people did something taking everything else out of it i don't think is appropriate um, I don't think it's an appropriate reflection of what happened, is, is my view on it. However, it should be something where people are allowed to maybe make a misstep and apologise for it. However, in today's environment, what we see is, again, I, I, she's not alone in this. When people go against her, she will double down on her position. Um, but, I don't... Go on. So, but I think, I think what she was saying by somebody, some, some people did something, is more of the case of, this is not Islam. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like the Muslim terrorists, and I think what she's trying to do is, is that is not. I think when she's saying some some people did something, it's more like saying they were people before they were Islamic terrorists. They were just people that were doing something, and and that nuance gets skipped because of I've, because it comes with a defense of Islam, and I can understand why the defense of Islam comes across, but um, you can't we can't miss out. We can't. Um, misinterpret and not miss out the fact that they were Islamic terrorists. They weren't. They were. They were doing this on the basis of jihad. It wasn't. They weren't just doing it because of they were. They were terrorists that happened to be is is to be uh, Muslims. They were doing it. Their their main cause of the same reason why they did it was because of Islam. Because they felt Islam was under attack. But wouldn't so, wouldn't how much more difficult from what she said there? Some people did something. How much more difficult would it have been instead of saying that when nine eleven occurred? There were a small minority of people who acted out a massive terrorist atrocity, but they were not representative of the Islamic faith or the whole Muslim community. How much more difficult would it have been for her to say that? Do you see, do you see what I mean? I get what you're saying completely, but 
it's not difficult for her to actually reference to it in representative of the scale and magnitude of what it was. Um, I, I fear today what we have is, and I see this across a lot of the political spectrum, and actually I was watching uh, in someone in the Commons the other day, and, and I can't remember can't remember the lady who it was now but she was getting questioned in the commons and she was actually very she's very well researched in her responses which she was having to take on the fly because questions in the commons anyway um and and she handled them very well and it's kind of representative of the political landscape today that i that that stood out to me because i feel like a lot of people who are in the political forefront nowadays and i believe do should have a responsibility and should be expected to have a good possess a strong skill set in the speaking area and the language and you and reflect on what they want to say accurately to the audience and i just think that people out there nowadays are massively massively unskilled in doing it and we see it across all of the landscape some of it they allow themselves to do it because they want to speak to the populist view some of them just want to virtue signal in what they're saying fine be who whatever you want to be um but i just think in general we are littered with a vast amount of the population of the politicians around the world not just in the us and the uk who are completely inadequately skilled at being able to actually articulate their message as representative of what their beliefs are and what they should be pushing for um doesn't help the fact that we can't have the open discourse that we should be able to have i just think people in general it's just not a it's just not a well-measured skill and it's just amazing to me when you look at the response from this that everybody who's taken out i mean from bernie sanders to elizabeth warren to trump followers to better walk i'm just screeching going down the list here of all the different people who have now taken to twitter to now either back or or go against her and we know how twitter works you have to take a left side or a right side and this is just it's just not it's just a representative of an unhealthy environment to me yeah hey all right let's move on all right um staying on the us uh <coughs> alex jones so campaigners have criticized logan paul for talking to for talking to conspiracy theorist alex jones on the platform that banned him. But this is bullshit, right? A month ago, Alex Jones was on um, Joe Rogan. So <laughs> why are they complaining because he's on Logan Paul? It's just dumb. Well, like, do, you know, do, you, do you know why I put this on here, right? It's because I don't agree with the stuff that's come out. So you've got the Hope Not Hate campaign, I think, said it was a mistake to give a platform to an extremist. Okay, right. Now, we know about two months ago that Alex Jones has... He says, trying to maybe clarify his comments on the whole Sandy Hook thing, he seems to be taking a big step back from his previous comments where he said that this was all staged, right? Um, <clears throat> now, you've got the whole discussion around cancel culture and the rest of it and how far should it be before somebody is, is forgiven for their past discretions. I don't really want to get into that far. But in general, when you listen to him, and if you listen to him on... Um, Joe Rogan, then he's a conspiracy theorist. Yes, but he's a conspiracy theorist who has doubled down in the past on some extreme situations such as Sandy Hook, right? But in general, a lot of his conspiracy theories are just kind of amusing and laughable, right? Um, and my view on this is, if you're going to say, because one of the uh, points that they made here was how it can uh, affect trying to find where it was but they were basically saying how this is yeah 
In the two-hour chat, Mr. Jones features on Logan Paul's podcast channel, which currently has 1.4 million subscribers, many of whom are teens and in their 20s. So what they're trying to say is, is that this can encourage this kind of thinking in a new and younger audience. Okay, then, guys, then why the fuck aren't we getting rid of the Flat Earther channels? Okay? Yeah. Because we don't have an issue with that, and that's fucking stupidity that flies in the face of all science. But we don't care. We're okay with that one, right? So that was my bit. That was why I put this in there, because I was like, well, hold on, guys. If you're going to say he's an extremist, firstly, you'll choose on one specific thing that he talks about. Now, not every one of his conspiracies are against extremists. And if you're saying that this is not good for children that are growing up, then we need to do away with all of the conspiracy theories that directly make children more stupid. So if we're going to go with this, I'm fine to go with the Alex Jones thing. If we can, throw, in this instance, let's throw the baby out with the bathwater and get rid of the fucking flat earth community as well. It's, my, <laughs> it's just my view on that. Yeah. I think I think the whole um, Alex Jones thing. Every time people complain about him, it makes him bigger. I think sometimes if you if you just let him be, yeah. Uh, and I think also I think Alex Jones. If when you watch his when you do watch him on like Joe Rogan and stuff, and and he has interviews, you can you can point out the bullshit, but you can you can also see some of it's just not some of it and some of the stuff he says. Yeah, he's, he's he just run some of the some of the things he does say. Some of the conspiracies he had that you brought up have been justified in the past. So um, it's just. Like, just let him be. I don't understand why why he's so dangerous. And all the other all the other conspira- um, conspiracy theories, like you said, are are, shoot, are allowed on there. Just because you've got the highest profile, it doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. Um, yes, yeah, it's done. All right, moving on. I'm moving back to the UK now. Um, I'm going to move back to the UK and I'm going to move back to um, Stormzy. So Stormzy cancels um, a gig. I think the the festival is called Snow Bombing Festival. Um, over weapon search, so uh, apparently Stormzy's uh, management management um, team and his entourage were searched for weapons at a, a heavily ha- handled search weapons at a festival, and um, they because and they didn't match the description of the, p- the person they thought they had weapons on, and, and therefore he's pulled out. Your view, um, he's, and he's accused him of racial profiling. Yeah, I don't I don't really know what to make of this one, to be honest, because I wasn't there. I mean, I, I don't believe that Stormzy was there at the time. I, I believe really? he then received, he was then contacted. by his, I think somebody came out, because I think one of the friends in our group then posted <laughs> that I think it was some form of journalist, maybe, or at least it was part of Twitter, but he suggested, oh, yeah, I came to this, and it's one of the... Um, what, what did he do? He used words like the softest or nicest, like security guards ever. There's no soft and nice security guards, first off. So stop with that rhetoric, right? And second off, I don't really, there are certain, there are certain times where I would suggest that there are certain people who should stay in their lane when they are referring to this. So let me just, I need to pull this up, who, who was the picture of the person who'd done this, actually, because my view on this is, is that, the person who said this, where is it? So Christopher Kennedy, let's just work out who the hell, firstly, Christopher Kennedy is. Um, whilst I'm doing that, I'll read out his his actual tweet that he put. Uh, so he came out and said, been to this festival more times than I can count. I can honestly say the security team were the kindest, most welcoming, most welcoming co- collection of humans you could ever wish to meet. Well, that's a bullshit comment, isn't it? Because... <laughs> 
I rarely, just in general face-to-face, day-to-day meeting of people, come across a group of people where I would say, um, I mean, unless I went and met like the Dalai Lama or something, it's very rare that I will say that somebody is the kindest, most welcoming collection of humans, right? Let alone a bunch of security guards. So this guy is Christopher Kennedy. What is he? Is he a journalist? He's got some, uh, I don't know. I can't, he's got, there's different pages. However, that said, I don't think this person who would appear for all intents and purposes to be a middle-aged white man really is in the best position to make any comment or reference to this. Because you and I both know that there are situations where I don't care how they behave to certain other ethnicities. When you turn up to a club and whether it's the way that they treat you when you're getting ID'd or when you're being passed through or whether they pick you out as somebody if they're going to do kind of random um, checks of people. We both know. I've walked to a club before, many times actually. There was one club I remember was out in Shoreditch one time. We walked up to the door and the guy went, and the bouncer was black. And you could tell he was embarrassed by having to say this. But he went, yeah, I can't let you in. And we were like, why? He said, oh, the owner's just said you can't come in. He's like, what? Yeah. He's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's just said that you can't come in. So, so we know that this happens, all right? So we're, uh, Stormzy wasn't there, but I wouldn't be surprised if, yes, they were heavy-handed in their, their treatment of things because it's very easy for a bouncer to go from being the best friend of one person to being another person's worst nightmare. Um, yeah. And it's very rare that you just get bouncers who aren't able to... I've known a lot of bouncers in my time, and they can be very nice or they can be the biggest bastards that you've ever come across so this for me I, it's good for Stormzy to come out and take some action and, and bring it to the forefront we'll never know exactly what happened there but also i don't think it's the place for somebody else who was a, of a completely different background to make any comment that could suggest that he has any understanding of this better than anybody else right um so it's unfortunate for the fans that went along. To be honest, Snowbombing is, I think they, ha- they hold it out, I can't remember, is it Austria maybe? But it's like a week long. So you go out there and you have a mix of going skiing and there's like these luxury chalets and the rest of it. So I'm inclined to think that the people who have gone out there, there's a mass list of artists that are there. There will be people who are disappointed not to see Stormzy, but at the same time, this person saying, ah, shame on him for his fans. I'm pretty sure that there was no one there that went specifically to see him. So I'm not sure that any of the people would have lost too much sleep, but my view is is these are the kind of things that you need to speak out about, right? Otherwise, there's not going to be any attention put on them. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 that, um, the, P- the snowboarding, snowboarding company, um, did a PR stunt where they were telling people if they tweeted positive stuff about them, they'd give them discounts on entries and stuff. So, um, th- uh, they, they tried to avoid backlash, but then Stormzy found out about it and posted it on the story. So I think they've come out looking bad, um, this week. Um, those fire festival tactics, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So um, they're kind of looking bad this week. Um, same with the UK. Uh, violence in the and violence in, in decline. A A and E data suggests so people. Um, although in, um, figures indicate knife crime. Um, oh, figures indicate a rise in knife crime recorded by police, not part of a wider upsurge in violence. So violence in decline, according to A and E data, suggests a data, a data study. So it looks like widespread violence is going down whilst knife crimes is still rising. I, do you think knife crimes rising? I think knife crimes risen from like in the last what, five years, but overall I don't think violent crimes up. Uh, if you look at 2010 statistics when they had the, um, you know, the riots, um, violence at that time was at all time high. So um, 
it's sometimes it's, it's what we feel compared to what's actually happening. You know, like statistical, if you look at statistics and then how you actually feel. So statistics say that temperatures are rising, but then you go outside and it's eight degrees. <laughs> it's that type of stuff. I'm not, and that's, that's very generally loose. And I, I understand, <laughs> change, by the way, but um, I'm just saying, and um, when you look at statistics, sometimes it, it kind of goes against what, with what, how um, we feel. Because if you look at the news you know, every day and every week, you see knife crime stuff. You think violent, the, the streets full of people stabbing each other. However, it looks like uh, violent crimes has gone down um, and it dropped by 1.7% in 2018. That's not, that's not a lot, is it? That's- no, I mean... I mean, I put this in there because I think it depends who you speak to. I mean, we, we obviously speak about this quite a lot and you hear it on, um, you hear it from uh, Stephen Pinker, you hear it from a lot of people who follow the, the same rhetoric as him that statistically we live in the best of times, right? But we choose because, and social media has, I'm not necessarily sure, I don't, I don't want to directly partake any blame towards social media but the internet and the availability of the internet means that it's easier to make visible things that have always gone on so for instance i think that we saw this week that there was a a 12 year old boy i think it was in colindale who was found with a gun now let's just be clear guys somebody may have caught that on camera and put that on the internet but that doesn't mean that that didn't used to happen 10 years ago um and the coverage that we get of these and i'm not arguing that we shouldn't have the coverage of these but the the coverage we get of knife crimes that happen nowadays you can you can use that almost in comparison to it's, it's like when i say comparison you can use it as a reflection of let's, let's say how we handle war right now millions of people died in world war Two, but they were just figures they were just statistics. It was just too too vast an amount, right? And you couldn't report on them back then because of the, the coverage and the, the capabilities you had media-wise. Nowadays, the capabilities that we have means that you can show and it can be visible when a single person dies. And it's an absolute horrible thing, just when a single soldier dies now, right? But that is almost representative of how far we've come forward that we can notice and take in and give absolutely the full consideration and sympathy to a person who loses their life in war. Whereas you couldn't, back 70 years ago because the numbers were just too vast and so the social media we've got i feel like the internet and the way that journalists report now is that yes they're able to report more strongly on the knife crimes that we do see but that doesn't mean this in general that we, we paint this picture like we're in the most violent world ever and we're not like when i was growing up when i was 14 i remember every i think i was talking about this before but every month two weeks we used to have like a let's call it disco for all intents and purposes it was like an under 18s rave and every at the end of that you knew exactly what was going to happen we used to have and we used to have four main areas of town right and usually two of those areas would meet outside and you would have 50 people maybe on each side and nearly in every one of those someone would get stabbed or slashed. There was a guy who notoriously always used to have a kitchen knife and a couple of times slashed people across the face. Never got caught for it because it was a different environment. You remember what it was like. We used to be able to have a fight, right? And you could walk away and nothing would happen from it. You have a fight nowadays at 12, you, you're getting police charges for that, right? Now, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. It's just different to what it was. Um, so, yeah, I just find this... I, I like these kind of... The figures are a bit misleading because they keep changing their measures of what they consider to be violent crime. But I think this is almost a sober reminder that we need nowadays when we want to look around and say, how can I bring up a child in this environment? The world's so bad. It's so dangerous. I'm not arguing that dangers don't exist in the world, guys. They, they clearly do. Um, there's a lot more that we could do to become better as a society, but we do have to be reflective and put this in perspective and realize that 
actually things aren't as bad maybe as the media normally wants you to think it is. Yeah, I agree. All right, then another the next story I, I want to look at is the police are introducing uh, mobile phone detectors, um, which will de- be able to detect when a driver is using a phone um, whilst driving. And the problem is um, the detectors actually can't, not to the, before I say anything, the detectors aren't used to enforce a law, they're used to educate drivers. So it's the same thing when you do um, when they put the, um, the the speed detectors when you're driving in the 30 mile per hour zone and it tells you you're going 38 miles per hour or you're doing 33, slow down. Um, the, only, the only issue I have with this um, technology is that the, the detectors can't differentiate between a passenger using the phone or a or someone using or the, the driver using the phone. Also, I don't understand how it actually works because of how can you tell if they're using the phone or not just by what their hands or is it? No, it's... no, no. It picks up on the um, it picks up on the two G, three G, and four G signals. So, this, is why, this is why I can't detect whether it's a driver or not because it just picks up on the signals of the phone. But does it detect if someone sends you a message or if you're sending a message? It detects all of it, but um, apparently, it, well, this is bizarre because I, I can only assume it's wired into phone signals rather than media signals. Um, but I don't know that because what it says here is it says that if you're using a Bluetooth hands free, then it can recognize this and not flash. So I'm not really sure how... Yeah, well, they're full flash. No, because it says phones to call, text, or use data. But then if it can't pick up a Bluetooth hands-free, so what does that mean? That I can... Because if I'm using... The reality is, is right, if I'm using a hands-free, then you're saying you won't pick this up. But if I'm using a hands-free, what's to say that I'm not actually sending a text, which is arguably worse because I'm completely taking my eyes off the road there. Um, There's a bit bizarre i'm not really sure how they can get this to work and and then this results in the detectors will show up like that one that says the signs which say slow down the sign will show up saying don't use your phone i think they're trying to use some form of social norming but if i'm looking at my phone i'm not going to see that sign flash up anyway um (laughs) they're going to (laughs) say they're going to say that this isn't going to be used as enforcement but if police are driving and they see that then they're probably going to end up stopping you anyway could just be i don't know i just I don't really see where they're trying to get with this. If there must be, I'm not saying I've got the answer, but it feels to me like there's better ways to tackle the use of phones. And this, I mean, they're only trialing it to be fair, but it seems to have a lot of flaws in it for something that I assume if they wanted to roll this out nationwide would require a, a big financial input to it. And, I, and don't, get, don't get me wrong. They reference this in families that have been killed because of people using their phone. I'm, I'm not overlooking the dangers of people using their phone. I'm just, feeling like there would be better ways to deal with this than than this approach they've got here. Unless they can refine it down and actually get it to detect if it is someone driving, right? Because yeah. otherwise, if I'm in the car with you, right, then all that you need to do is, I'm not saying you do, but let's say you're on the phone and then it flashes up and there's police behind you. You just go, oh, Ben, fuck, take my phone and pretend it was you using it. Like, it's not yeah, easy yeah. to get your way out of this, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, it's true. I, 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 don't, I don't understand. I don't understand how it's going to work. Um, it's not foolproof. I, I, I think the, I think the way they're they're tempting to deal with um, drivers things is really weird. Like so, so in twenty twenty one, they're going to bring in that speed limiter um, thing um, to, to slow down cars by enforcing um, slow, make the car slow down itself, so the driver loses control and it slows them down. However, the issue is it's not it's not always the speed. Sometimes it's just driver mistakes and. Um, even um, dodging cars are all the same speed and they still crash. 
So I, I just feel like a lot of these things that they're introducing, um, I, what I, what, what, one thing I think today they could do is that, um, when, when a driver's driving and then they know they're driving because a lot of people use their phones for Google Maps and, and use, and, tell, and, and the phone can differentiate if you're walking and if you're, if you're driving, um, um, it just blocks all it blocks all your other other messaging apps so it blocks whatsapp it blocks um your texts and it all just fo- and that that then doesn't force someone to look at their phone while they're driving because they can't see the messages you've coming got, from their phones you've got car mode though now on most phones haven't you yeah you've got on most phones you've got on like on ways on ways and google maps they both have car mode so it once that's happening it can block all messages coming through so it doesn't flash up on your phone so you don't get distracted while you're driving it's really, it's quite funny though, because we can use this, uh, we can segue from this onto the screen time story shortly, right? But the reality is, is guys, what is it that you that can't wait until this is not, I'm not going to say, and I'm not one who hates smartphones. I, I don't. I think there's a lot that we can use to advance society by the use of smartphones, but there is still this signal of, of, of there's some form of addiction that we have that you can't just ignore your smartphone for a short period of time. Like there's no message that can't really. And I recall when I started turning off all the notifications on my phone, it was just incredibly liberating to just realize actually I don't need to give a shit about answering the phone. I mean, like, first off, I hate people who call me anyway, but secondly, I don't need to respond instantly when I get a message. I don't like people who expect me to. Um, I don't need to be aware the second that someone's posted something on my Instagram. Now, I know that some people use Instagram for their business and stuff, so it's a bit more important, but then there are ways that you would have somebody who could do that in the background, right? So there's there's just this thing about the addiction that we have that says, I am so addicted, I can't stay away from my phone just for the brief period of time where I'm on it. And there's no real reason now, right, with the ease of hands-free that you've got and Bluetooth capabilities that apart from having a phone call, you can get dictators to read stuff out in your messages and stuff. If you really need to use it, there's no reason you really need to be using your phone to a degree where it should distract you from the road, right? Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, when I'm driving, I put my phone away so I don't actually look at it. So the only, thing about, the only time I look at my phone is if I'm using it for Google Maps. And even then, I ignore messages because I want to get I want to get home safe. And I don't want to get distracted. I've seen... <laughs> I see people on the road driving. I can tell when someone's using their phone because they either they they either slow down because they're texting and they can't drive at the same speed they would normally drive at if they were if they had the phone in their hand, or they're making mistakes that doesn't make any sense that they're breaking for no reason. That you have a lot more motorways when you're driving a motorway when someone breaks for no reason. It's usually, usually because um, they're on their phone, they're they're not concentrating, and then they look up and then they see yes, where they are. Yeah, yeah. And it's break. So. Um, a lot of times, that's that's that, and that causes accidents because there's a person behind you. So like, why are you break? There's no car in front of you. Why are you breaking? And it's because they they weren't concentrating on the road, and then they looked up and they saw something. They, they thought they saw something in the road, and then they the natural things to panic, put your foot down on the brake. So um, yeah, people I, need to be. There is also one point. This is well, and this is, and this is down to again. The unfortunate part of this is you have to put some responsibility on the broken part of the driving process, which is the human. It's always prone to error, right? But I saw a woman the other day. She was on hands-free. My, my word. I don't know what was wrong, but she was going off on one. Now, someone like that, hands-free or not, you shouldn't even be having a conversation. If you're that incapable of controlling your emotions that you cannot, and I'm not saying that she would be this angry in every phone call. I don't even know who the woman was. But if you can't control your emotions to the the degree that whilst you're driving, she was at traffic lights and she hashed up the turn that she was trying to make anyway. Um, 
if you're that incapable of controlling your emotions that you will lose your shit in a conversation, you should be talking it even on hands free or not because you're clearly not paying attention to the road. You're gonna have that type of conversation, the best, best thing to do is to pull over. Yes, yeah, 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 whether it's hands free or not, right? Hands free or not, yeah. Pull over, stop the car, and have that conversation. And then when you're when once you're um once you recompose once once you've recomposed yourself, then go back on the road. You driving and being emotional can make lead, lead you to having mistakes yeah, and causing someone to lose their life. So if you're gonna have that type of conversation, pull over. This is the wonderful irony of the conversation about autonomous cars, though, right? If yeah. one in ten thousand um autonomous drives they have an accident we lose our shit and say oh yeah see this is such a broken technology we can't trust it but we trust humans who are way more susceptible to making errors every one in ten decisions that they make let alone every one in one thousand right now i'm not saying that driverless cars and autonomous cars are perfect but i'm saying that they're a damn sure sight better than we are with all our vulnerabilities and incapacities to be able to control our emotions, our decision-making. In many instances, actually, the senses that we have may be degraded, whether that be around your hearing, whether that be around your sight, whether that be around your reaction time. And I, so this is why, for the life of me, I can't... Because you mentioned something earlier. You said, yeah, people will always just make mistakes. And the only way you could get... I mean, until you get to, like... Let's use, like, a an iRobot scenario where I'm not saying we'll get to that, but in iRobot, all the cars are autonomous, right? And actually everybody looks strangely upon Will Smith because he actually drives his own car. Um, But arguably the underlying principle of it is until you can remove the error prone parts of the the process, which arguably are some computers will always be slightly error prone, um, but no more, but more, they're much more accurate and reliable than, than people are. Um, so I just wonder, because we were having this conversation in one of the groups as well, with all of the um, enforcements they're putting on cars, which they're putting under kind of carbon taxes and the increased cost that they're making people to pay, you're getting people who are going, one, from not wanting to own a car to just wanting to rent a car, to then saying, actually, I'm going to use Uber for most stuff, to uh, autonomous cars trying to pick up. And it's only so long before you just say, well, actually, either I just have an autonomous car or just autonomous services run and I get rid of people in... In the, the long run, that's not 10 years. You're talking like 50 years ahead, but yeah. it feels to me like it makes for a safer society. Yeah, it does. I, mean, I think the only issue is that, like, if you have... I've been watching... Um, <laughs> I've been watching a few zombie programs on Netflix, and I always thought, like, once you have... Once you rely on technology so much, yeah, when you have one of these, like, end-of-world scenarios, then you're stuck because your car can't drive without being without a computer telling you you have to drive it. Um and I was always, and I was thinking, like, if there was like a massive, like, um, like, uh, I know this is me being crazy, but if there was a massive, like, earthquake or typhoon, and then you're run, you're driving on the motorway, and you're trying to get away from the water, and you can't because of the speed limit of setting you seventy miles per hour, and the satellite saying seventy miles per hour, and you want to get do hundred because of the, because of the waters coming at seventy miles per hour, you're done for, and it technology stops you. <laughs> oh, that's just me. That's just my wild thinking. But. Um, no, but, yeah. it's, but it's, you say that, but it's sensible, right? Because whenever we embrace new technology, we also need to be cognizant of the fact that we can't be, this is a random deviation of conversation we're going on now, yeah. but you also be, need to be cognizant of the fact that you can't be fully dependent on it because if like, a, again, I'll just use a comparison to a, something that I would hope wouldn't happen, but if you use a Terminator 2 scenario, let's say the, the, the central system either chooses to, to be taken over or is destroyed, you become incapable of doing anything. And you can look at something simplistic right as how people get let's just take london 
people used to be able to and and this is why black cabbies are i understand why they're up in arms about uh, uber drivers nowadays right because you get into an uber and i'm not arguing against her but you get into an uber and so they put in the sat nav and that's how they get from a to b now if something went wrong with all the sat navs in london the only people who know their way around are pretty much black cab drivers now right because even even with the people who generally live in London, they know their way from one point to another, which they generally tend to go often. But they don't really know their way around, right? So let's say that there was a disaster and the only safe haven was in the north of England and, and sat-navs aren't working. Well, th there will be um, the Darwin effect setting in well, won't it? Because there will be a lot of people who are fully reliant on technology and would not know how to find their way out of it. Yeah, it's funny because it's like, funny saying that because in, the, in um, the zombie film I'm watching is it's, it's um, called Black Summer in, on Netflix. Um, when they're trying to get away, one of the things they have to do is read the map because satellites are down, and then no one can, and the woman can't read the map. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they can't read the map, it's, and it's funny. Um, I think if you ask most majority of people to read an A to Z now, they wouldn't they wouldn't have, they wouldn't know where they are first of all, and second of all, they wouldn't know how to get to from A to B. They wouldn't know what junction to get off because most people don't talk that way anymore. Like the junctions told by told to you by the A, by well, the, they just um, take the next turn, don't they? Yeah, next turn, yeah. Get off at of junction twenty five. Well, I don't know junction twenty five if they didn't tell me. You know what I mean? But on the maps, it says Johnson 25, so you'd have to understand where Johnson 25 is and prepare for it. So, yeah, it's just re it'd be really interesting to see how much we how much the, we we do depend on technology. Even today's even in today's age, where we don't think technology as far ahead as it as it could be, we do depend on it so much. Like people depend on Amazon so much nowadays. Instead of like if you if Amazon went down and you want to buy stuff, you wouldn't know to go and buy it. Well, you, look at the uproar when Facebook went down, right? Yeah. Just something as simple as that. Yeah. Although let's be clear, I wouldn't like I wouldn't like to put this to the test by actually having to go through an, a doomsday or an Armageddon instance. At least not in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree. Yeah. But um, staying on what we're talking about, so the UK plans to, plans for regulation of the internet and social media contained a long list of online harms. Um, among them was excessive screen use by teenagers. So. Um, there's been a study saying that um, we've so for a long time people have been saying that people use their phones too much and, and it's harmful and it causes issues and especially in regards to mental health issues. However, the studies come out and said there's no obvious um, there's not obvious um, harms on using your phone for, for a long time. There'll, be, there'll probably be another there'll probably be another study in for six months saying that if you use your phone too long, it causes cancer. So. <laughs> I, do you, do you know the thing I don't get about <clears throat> this, um, is I don't like the way that they mould this study. Now, <clears throat> if you look on, um, I don't know how to get the actual days, the last seven days. If you look on the, the screen time app, at least on the, um, the iPhone, right, then it will tell me most most notably where well usually it just pops up it popped up this morning actually it said my usage time this week i mean last week it was down by 50 percent for how much i spend on it a day this week it was up by 97 percent. i think it was right but i spent yesterday i spent about two hours when i was between the cross trainer and other places trying to get my head around quantum mechanics and quantum physics and wormholes right now i would argue that's not actually a bad use of my screen time now the reason i point this out is I don't think that the screen time is the problem here. 
the problem, if, if you have an issue with teenagers being addicted to their phones, then it's the content that they're consuming whilst they're on there. But you shouldn't take a blanket statement of saying screen time is bad because screen time is how most people educate themselves nowadays. And you shouldn't make them feel you shouldn't make them feel self-conscious about that and worry about their times. I don't care if you want to say you spent seven hours today on social media. You might want to take a look at your life. Um, I don't mind if you want to not. You wouldn't say it like that. But I don't mind if you want to pick into how they're using it. But I don't think this blanket study on the actual num um, number of hours you spend on screen time is. I, I don't think it's very healthy because we're so soft nowadays that literally you put that number in front of somebody and they will they will start to question themselves and get anxiety well, why am i spending too they're telling me that screen time is bad and i'm spending too much screen time forget the rational view of you being able to say actually i'm comfortable with my screen time because i know how i use it the world is too soft nowadays <laughs> frankly for many things to work and i, I don't think studies like this are I, I don't think it's a particularly robust study because as they state in this because i don't think the focus of the study is correct here i don't know what your view on that is um yeah i I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about it until you said until you said i, I kind of agree i think it's not how much time they're spending on the screen time it's what they're doing on the screen time which is important um like i probably i probably spent a lot of time screen time this week not actually using my phone for social media because i'll be at work but when i'm in between journeys watching watching netflix so i probably spend like what two hours which normally i put my phone away to music i i probably spent watching film watching the um, tv series um that's not me going on social media and spending all my time on facebook or instagram it's just me just going on netflix and having my phone open or, or sometimes i was using watching youtube videos on my phone what between um between journeys so yeah i don't think it's i don't think it's screen time that's important. I think we need to become more nuanced and say, what, so what are people actually using, spending their time, what are teenagers using their time for? If they're, if they're spending all day on Instagram, then I would say something is something is slightly wrong there. If they're spending all their time on Snapchat and Instagram and socialising socialising their friends that way, and they're not going outside, I think there's something wrong there. But if they're, if they're, if they're using their phones to uh, educate themselves and um, design stuff or... Um, interact with people in, and network with people to create stuff that they're, they, they're planning on doing. I can't see anything wrong with it. So I think it is the thing where we have to become more nuanced and we have to look at things on a more nuanced scale and say, okay, what's, what, what are people using their phones for? Are they using it for this and that? Why are they using it for this and that? Can we get them from, can we get them off their phones? If they want to use to socialize, can we get them off them off their phone? Probably get off, get them off their phones and then get them to socialize um, on more on, on a, more on a personal level because i think the issue is that a lot of teenagers do, do use their phones to escape because of um sometimes they're not very happy with themselves and I'm, that's, that's a very general 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 statement but a lot of times i think the reason why people use their phones so much is because it's actually easier to interact with people than actually you actually interacting with people face to face and that's where you get a lot of people have social anxieties now you've seen it more and more people have social anxieties because they're so used to, so, so used to interacting and um on social media that when they actually come to meet people face to face they don't they don't actually they don't actually they don't actually know how to interact with them um, and we substitute to you right and, and and therein lies exactly why i think that this is flawed because if you want to say yeah if you want to do a, a study and and usually i don't i always have slight issues with studies of any nature because if the numbers aren't at of a large enough volume then it's very difficult to 
uh, say that it's any reflection of, of society in general but let's say you wanted to take a thousand teenagers and actually just get them to because they'd have to be willing to sign up because there would be some data that you'd have to access but if you took just say a week or a month's worth of their screen time data to see where they spend the time let's say it comes out because argue you will see a lot of my time is spent on whatsapp now you could ask me well, how much of your time is spent on WhatsApp speaking to people versus spending time with people? And then you could drill down and say, okay, well, why do you spend more time with WhatsApp than speaking to people? Arguably, I should probably see some of my friends more. Schedules and diaries suggest that you can't. Um, but some people use it as a direct replacement. And it's not it's not a sensible direct replacement because then you, you can't have any form of, again, this is probably why our ability to have open discourse is broken because people have it on different mediums. So yeah. why do people have relatively low EQ nowadays? Why are people not allowed to, not able to have nuanced conversations or healthy debate? Because a lot of people, you might find a majority of their time is spent on Twitter. You might find people with high anxiety, the majority of their time is spent on Instagram, looking at people who post pictures that are not reflective of their life. But that should be the kind of information that you should be drilling down into, not the screen time because the person who spends 90 percent of their time on wikipedia research and stuff and then has a lot of offline time spent with people well you'd say that that's a pretty healthy balance right but just looking at the screen time thing wouldn't tell you that so yeah i, I think you're right on what you said there it's it, it's just it just needs to be more drilled down for me and, and i just don't like these high level studies where they then chuck out the numbers because people will take an irrational view they will only look at the very peak of the iceberg and they don't pay attention to anything of use information wise to actually analyze the situation and take action on it all right and i think i'm gonna do the final story of the week i'm gonna, I'm gonna um focus on the pictures of the black hole so the first ever, first ever image of a black hole was released um astronomers have, take, astronomers have taken the first ever image of a black hole which is located in a distant galaxy apparently it's massive and it was a ring of fire around it it looks amazing. It looks kind of blurry, but it looks amazing. A ring of fire around a black um, spit, a, a black circle. And I think going forward, when you see when you watch Star Trek and Star Wars and you want to see black holes, it will look more like this than what they've actually shown in the past. So actually, what, what's quite interesting is the... Um, I only found out about this... Um this this week now actually it's quite reflective somebody put out a story on this saying oh why does it not look like the one out of interstellar i was like guys you're being a bit fucking harsh here because i don't know anybody who's seen it but um the one in interstellar is actually quite accurate for this uh, i i understand why now because one of the um product main um producers of the, the film was is a, was a theoretical physicist. I didn't actually know that. Um, so he was one of the executive producers of... So his name is Kip Thorne. But he was one of the executive producers of Interstellar, which is why he... So he understands, theoretically, what a black hole should look like. And he understands, theoretically, that, to be fair, the one that they've created, I now understand this, is the one that they created for um, Interstellar, wasn't representative of exactly what... Uh, um, a black hole would look like because the director wanted there to be some form of rotation for um, viewing purposes as part of this, which is why it wasn't quite reflective. However, if you look at Interstellar, it was surprisingly accurate, but given that it was made before this was seen, as to what the first black hole would look like. That said, it's mind-blowing to me, and I've only had more of it this week, this is like this is one of those wonderful things that I think is just truly humbling. Um, 
and wonderful to remind you how little we know about the universe and the world, which I think is a good thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, in this instance, and then it was, it was funny because I didn't notice this, but I was speaking to somebody and she says to me that she was getting spoken to a lot about the fact that the person who found this or pieced together the algorithm was a woman um, and a 29-year-old woman. And I was like, oh, I hadn't actually seen that. Um, I kind of, I'm not surprised by it, given the, the fallout we had of the double female spacewalk, which didn't go to plan. Um, however, I did just jokingly say back to her, which she agreed with. Um, well, Albert Einstein was 25 when he <laughs> introduced the, the theory of relativity. Um, but that said, I, I, don't, I, I personally didn't want to get into that. <clears throat> I just think that, yeah, it's, it's, it's truly humbling when you look at the scale of the universe for us to see something so distant from us. It's just, yeah, it's, 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 I don't even know. It's, it's ridiculous. When you look at the, what, it's 500 million trillion kilometers away. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? It is, in, yeah, it's insane, but um, yeah, it's exciting though. It's exciting, yeah, it's exciting. All right. What are you really Speaking of that, well, actually, we can slide onto that in the same thing, right? So I've, uh, I've been hurting my brain this week um, and genuinely hurting my brain. So at the moment, I'm reading Ripples in Space Time. Um, I came across a guy who I didn't know about before this, uh, Carlo Rovelli. So he is, well, his area of specialization is... Um, quantum gravitation and so he's got one book which is reality is not quite what it seems uh, another one that i read of his is the order of time um which again is is like a mind blower when you take into consideration that time doesn't really exist just just in reference and we just use that uh, as something to put in context the the cycles of days and, and rotations of the universe right but it doesn't exist it's just purely referenced in place uh, in perspective of where you are in the universe um and then ripples in space time which i was reading uh, which i'm reading at the moment but one of the points that go on on that is <clears throat> the ligo satellites where they detected the first gravitational waves or einstein waves right came out of i didn't this is mind-blowing when you look at it like this but came out of two black holes colliding together billions of years ago right and in the time that that's basically when these gravitational waves were created we're talking about pre-dinosaurs and so in the time that gravitational waves have taken to travel from their origin we have literally gone through a cycle of the whole of humanity being created and thousands of years in the world developing and i'm like wow that's just fucking insane to think about that they captured a wave that that was that source is that far away. Um, yeah, so sorry, geeking out a bit, but yeah, I've spent a lot of time trying to get my head around uh, quantum mechanics, which I'm not I'm not doing very well at. I'm struggling. It gives me a bit of a headache to be honest. But yeah, that's what I've been reading up on. I haven't really caught up on too many podcasts this week. Um, I think it's been pretty quiet in the podcast world, though. Joe's been. Mm -hmm. A bit yeah. quiet in the last couple of weeks. Well, in the last yeah. week. I think I had one. I think I had one this week. Um, I think I had one this week. I haven't really, I haven't really caught up on it. I've been, I've been too busy at work. I haven't read anything. Or I've, all I've been doing is on my way back from work, I've been watching my um, my, my Netflix <laughs> series. Other than that, I haven't really been listening to podcasts or um, watch read anything much. Um, I think next week, hopefully, it'll be. Um, I think I think Joe Rogan normally takes a, a, a break off after a UFC event, so he probably won't have any podcasts this week. But we'll probably have podcasts next week. 
Yeah, yeah, Kevin Hart one tided people over for a while as well. He's had a lot of comedians on the last week, and I don't always listen to those. One random tidbit, right, that I found out this week, which I didn't know about. It's a completely random thing to bring up. But do you know that fucking the Nazis were just, like, addicted to crystal meth? No. So this is random, right? I came across it on Stuff You Should Know. Um, Honestly, I... When I start speaking about this stuff on this podcast, I want to seem like such a geek. Um, but I came across that. I've, put together, I've added a book to my Audible, which is called Blitz. But basically, they created... <clears throat> it was the same company. I think it was the Bayer company, who, within two weeks of each other, created methamorphine, which is basically crystal meth, and asp- aspirin at the same time. No, they created heroin um, and aspirin within, like, two weeks of each other. However, crystal meth was basically to a point where it's being put on chocolates, the way that people would consume it nowadays for recreation, well, arguably recreational use. Um, but also, it was in wide use in the German troops. So, like, you've got a scientist in there who was saying, yeah, he'd taken some of it. He could work for, like, 40 hours. And you've got, when you look at back in history at some of the pushes they made, especially when they were going over to, to Poland, they were there are accounts of like these german soldiers absolutely fearlessly going into battle across an open field which normally soldiers would shy away from um you also see some of the periods of time where they made a massive amount of movement that seems inhuman um but could be answered by the fact that they were on crystal meth so could literally go in their tanks for a day and a half without stopping um and then just to make it more interesting sorry just before we sign off for the week but hitler got hooked on this as well and if you look at accounts of his later days, he became incapable of making decisions because seemingly they were starting to try and wean him off the drug that he'd become dependent on. It's like, I need to learn a lot more in this because I literally <laughs> only came across on, a, on the podcast and I'm going to download the book. But I was like, what the actual fuck? Um, in fact, I think they tried to wean some of the soldiers when they were going into invade Russia and the mix of having to drop their dosage of the drug and deal with the cold uh, conditions of Siberia, somewhat may have in part led to um, their defeat. But there is argument for saying that some of their pursuits forwards were fueled and were in part due to their use of drugs and also potentially their downfall because their leader was incapable of making decisions because of his dependencies on drugs and i was like just what i did i'm not i'm not sure how i never knew that <laughs> or, or this has never come up before when i've had to go through history crazy. i don't know i don't know that either that's crazy all right guys it's lights out from me and lights out from me have a good week and we will uh yeah speak to you next week right. peace, peace.